Welcome to the Get Over Yourself podcast. This is author and athlete Brad Kearns discovering ways to be healthy, fit, and happy in hectic, high-stress modern life. So let's slow down and take a deep breath, take a cold plunge, and expertly balance that competitive intensity with an appreciation of the journey. That's the theme of the show. Here we go. The Get Over Yourself podcast is brought to you by Almost Heaven, beautiful compact home use sauna kits, ancestral supplements, grass-fed organ meats in a capsule, DNA Fit, genetic testing for custom diet and exercise recommendations, Integro Health, high-potency liquid probiotic called Flourish, Organifi, organic powdered superfoods, delicious green, gold, and red powders, Wild Idea Buffalo, sustainable, grass-fed, beyond organic, real ketones, clean burning ketones for athletic performance and fat loss. And check out the bradkerns.com slash shop page. That's my personal selection of favorite products for health, fitness, and peak performance. And here we go with the show. So ancient philosophers and contemporary scientists agree that a key and maybe the key to happiness is relationships. We have to have enduring intimate bonds. We have to be able to give and get support. We need to be able to confide. We need to feel like we belong. And so anything that we do that that tends to deepen or expand our relationships tends to uh, make us happier. Don't do this. Don't say, I'm going to get organized. Because a lot of times when people decide they're going to get organized, they have this impulse to like run out to the container store or Staples or wherever and buy hangers and folders, binders. I don't know what it is about people and their binders. But really what we should start is by clearing out everything that's sort of clogging the system. Because if you get rid of everything that sort of doesn't need to be there, you may not need to get organized at all. You just, you just have room on a shelf and you just put that thing on the shelf. Is it possible to really change your inborn, hardwired, genetically programmed personality? I don't think so, or if it is, it's very, very difficult, but it's very easy to change your circumstances. Okay, if you're ready to change your life, please check out the Primal Blueprint Mastery Courses, of which I am the host. The exercise was to bring our books to life with a comprehensive online multimedia educational experience. We have the Primal Blueprint 21-Day Transformation. So you can go primal, ditch grains and sugars, learn what primal living is all about. We have the Keto Reset Mastery Course. If you've built up some good momentum and now you're ready to try this keto thing and do it right once and for all and be guided step-by-step throughout the content in the entire book, The Keto Reset Diet, through video. If you're too lazy to read, just watch me talk you through the whole thing. We also have the Primal Endurance Mastery Course, which is the world's most comprehensive library of interviews with experts, great athletes, and covering the entire content of the Primal Endurance book, an absolute must-have for an endurance athlete who's trying to do it right instead of get broken down and burnt out, and many other ones. We have a stand-up desk experience called Don't Just Sit There with Katie Bowman. We have a Paleo cooking boot camp where you can cook for a couple hours on the weekend and have meals for your family all throughout the week. Great courses. Click the links at bradkearns.com and learn more. Ladies and gentlemen, I present mega best-selling author, award-winning podcast host, Gretchen Rubin. Oh, 
how do I land these incredibly popular and important best-selling authors? It's because people like Gretchen Rubin are cool. They're receptive to my crazy cold pitches, and she likes to give of herself and spread the word. She's doing a fantastic job. I'm so honored to get a chance to talk with her. I think you're going to love this show, full of life-changing insights. If you don't know Gretchen Rubin, go type her name into Google. You will blow out with all these incredible best-selling books, a string of New York Times number one bestsellers. Her topic is habits, happiness, human nature, helping you understand yourself, do things the right way, do things that work for you. Some of the great books in her library, The Happiness Project, Happier at Home, Better Than Before, The Four Tendencies, which was an absolutely transforming book for me to discover my basic nature and how I relate to the world and to other people and how to do things better and to honor those tendencies. And then, of course, her newest book, which she's making the rounds to promote, is called Outer Order, Inner Calm declutter and organize to make room for happiness. So hold on for a very fast paced show. Gretchen Rubin is a 1x podcast, not 1.5, not 1.7. So listen carefully to the insights about the benefits of decluttering. We get into some parenting observations and please go check out her podcast that she does with her sister. These guys have great banter. Her sister's name is Elizabeth Kraft. And the podcast is called The Happier Podcast. And if you do nothing else, I know life is busy and things go in one ear and out the other or on your to-do list and sit there and linger. But please go to her website, GretchenRubin.com, and take the four tendencies quiz and identify which of the four behavior personality tendencies you have. Oh, it'll be so much fun. It takes only a few minutes. You get the quiz results and then boom. You are into the mix with Gretchen Rubin. You'll go pick up some of her books and be happier, be more productive, be more true to yourself and your tendencies. I know you're going to love this show. Thank you so much, Gretchen. Everybody enjoy. Gretchen, hi. Hey, how are you? I'm so excited to talk to you. I can't believe it. Yeah, thanks for doing this. this thanks for taking the time. You're, you're, yeah. you're hitting it hard. Yes. How's everything yeah. going? Good. It's going well. How yeah, do you do it you. all, Gretchen? I don't know. Just do get up on time, I guess. Um, do you have some like tightly organized uh, rituals around your day and uh, uh, free from distraction and strategies of that nature? You know, I don't really, I love routine and habits, so I just, I incline that way. So I don't really need to go out of my way to build that in. That's sort of, uh, it's anything I have to loosen up. Uh, you're the uh, upholder. Yes, I yeah. am. Dude. I'm, I'm uh, I figure we're recording already when I asked you how to oh. do it all. So oh, we're, okay. We're rolling. Okay, we'll just jump in. Okay, yeah. good. Yeah. That's my crazy get over yourself podcast style. We're, you know, okay. we're freewheeling. Um, but, of Good. course, we're here to uh, talk about this fabulous new book, Outer Order, Inner Calm, Declutter and Organize to Make More Room for Happiness. And my my soundbite that I pulled out, I listened to uh, you talk to L. Russ, and uh, you said there's disproportionate yields to the art of tidying up. And that one really stuck with me and trying to think about what that means. So I'd love for you to expand on that. Well, it's not true for everyone. There are people who are clutter blind and they don't get any benefit of 
clear and clutter that doesn't drain them. It doesn't overwhelm them. Um, but for most people, outer order does contribute to inner calm um, and kind of a sense of focus and self-mastery and even a sense of possibility. Um, and like you say, it's sort of disproportionate because we can all agree that in the context of a happy life, something like a crowded clothes closet or a messy desk is kind of inconsequential. And yet over and over, people tell me, and I certainly feel this way myself, that um, when you get more control of your stuff, you kind of feel like you have more control of your life and it's just easier to um, achieve your aims for yourself. Uh, however, some people are, are you saying, less affected? Absolutely. Like my sister, I, I have the uh, podcast Happier with Gretchen Rubin and my, my sister is my co-host, Elizabeth. And she just is, I've seen it, like she just doesn't care. I mean, she just doesn't care. You know, it just, it doesn't bother her. She wouldn't close the kitchen cabinet door ever. Um, it just doesn't bother her. Um, that's pretty rare. Um, oh. Most people, some people are more willing to put a lot of time and energy into it. Some people have sort of a lower standard. Um, some people feel very comfortable free riding off of other people. It's sort of like, well, I know the dishes are going to get done, so why should I do them? But if no one was doing the dishes, maybe eventually they would do the dishes. But then there's some people who just, you know, it just, it just, it isn't really part of, uh, uh, it's not a significant part of their environment. Oh, so you're you're giving a break to some people, the free riders, because I'm now guessing like they're not doing it uh, uh, maliciously. They're just comfortable free riding. They don't yeah. realize that I I would guess the person doing the extra work to to uh, to pick up the slack might even be feeling resentful because they're the type of person that likes the clean, tidy area. Well, it's it's interesting. I mean, the one thing that I write about and think about a lot is the problem of shared work. Um, so shared work is like we need to keep our house in good order. Now, my idea of what good order is could be much higher than your idea of good order. And so you would just be comfortable if everything were a little bit more chaotic. And so I'm really saying I want to enforce my preference. And you're saying I don't want to help you enforce your preference. If you want to clean, fine, clean it up. If you want to do it to my standard, you can let me do it my way. And again, it's not that one person, a lot of times we want to say, I'm right, you're wrong. You should do it my way because my way is the better way. And a lot of times it isn't a matter of somebody being right and somebody being wrong, but people having different preferences. And so I think it's helpful to think about, well, this is the way I prefer to have it. Can we figure out a way to do that or to figure out how to make it fair? Um, but look, if somebody really wants the bed to be made every day and somebody else honestly doesn't care, I don't really see why that's the second person's problem. You know, that's a preference. Um, now, you could say, I will choose to do it out of love for you, or you could say, I will do that because there's something else I really want that isn't important to you, so I will do this because that's fair. Or there's a million ways to approach it. But when you're like, people can't live like this, well, it's like, sure they can. They can all the time. People just have different preferences on how tidy they they like things, how, how clutter-free. Uh, this also is a problem at work because sometimes the boss will say something like, a cluttered desk means a cluttered mind. And we're going to have a clean desk policy in this office. Well, that works for you. It doesn't mean that it works for everyone. Some people find that their creativity is, is stimulated by kind of unexpected juxtapositions. They like to have a lot of things out all at once. And they work perfectly productively that way. Um, why can't they work in their own way? There's no right way or wrong way, really. Well, that's nice to know. I'm also reflecting on uh, Bruce Lipton, Biology Belief, talking about these, um, these stimuli that we either move toward or uh, stimulate a protection response. So if something's uh, stressful, we see a predator rustling through the bushes, 
we get a protection response in our cells and the fight or flight hormone spike. And then the other things that we enjoy and we're drawn to have that uh, growth response. So it's either or, uh, or, or, or uh, neutral, like something we don't care about. We look at it, it doesn't, doesn't charge us. But uh, going back to the idea of like walking past a pile of clutter and not even realizing uh, the, the fight or flight impact that has from glancing at it out of the corner of your eye as you proceed to the other room, um, that feels like I, I can sort of identify with that um, personality type, maybe that tendency. Uh, you're also uh, identifying a group of people who really don't care and sister doesn't mind the, the closet, uh, the, the kitchen cabinet open. So do you have any insights about how we might uh, 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 determine whether we're getting a hidden stress response from having clutter and we could do something about it and achieve some inner calm? Well, I think one of the ways is like, do you feel better when it's cleaned up? I mean, how much of a boost oh. do you get? A lot of people just feel so much better. And it's it's just, it's funny to me, um, like the energy that people give. And one of the things I wanted to do with this book is remind people like, it's going to feel so good. You're going to get such charge. I'm always begging my friends to let me come over and help them clean their clutter because I get such uh, like a contact high from doing it, um, especially when it's not your stuff. It's like all the upside and none of the kind of emotional drain <laughs> that comes. You can um, toss this. You, don't worry. <laughs> oh my God! But you feel so good when you clear that out, and um, and so I think if you don't really care, if you're like you know what, I like one thing, same difference to me, then why bother? I mean, you, we've all got a lot going on, but for most people, they really do feel like a kind of a kind of a, a strange boost. I mean, I just experienced this myself the other night. I um. You know, you'd think I've been studying clutter for so long. You'd think my whole house would be like clutter free. But no, it happens all the time. And I was up in the middle of the night. I couldn't sleep. So I got up the way they tell, you know, the sleep experts say, get up and, you know, do something and that'll help you go back to sleep faster. So I get up and I'm like, I'm going to look in the utility closet. And sure enough, there was just all this junk in there. And for the next few days, I would just walk by the utility closet you know, just by choice, because I loved looking at it and seeing how clean and how much space had opened up and how organized it was. Um, so it gave me like a, it wasn't like it was bothering me. I hadn't even thought about the utility closet in like 10 years. I just go get what I needed and leave. It didn't, it wasn't weighing on me particularly, but then even just releasing all that space and creating that order, um, really gave me a weird uh, sense of satisfaction. And so, you know, sometimes when I'm blue, I'll clear clutter because it just always gives me a lift. Uh, I, I hear that and I'm, I, I can identify and, and it, it's just a sense of accomplishment. And then you said, watch out about, uh, procrastic clearing. I'm like, Oh no. I mean, I, I'm a writer. I have deadlines and there's so much, um, aversion to, you know, getting into doing the hard work and we have all these coping mechanisms and uh, wasting time tidying up. So I'm like, Oh, no. so how do I avoid the the drawbacks of procrastic clearing or identify when I'm in procrastic clearing mode? Well, I think it's always about, you know, well, the first question is, is this related to the task? Because often with because there is, there's definitely helpful preparation. And it's like, I'm going to start writing a big report. So I'm going to, you know, put every, all my filing away and I'm going to get the dirty cups off my thing and I'm going to put the pens in the pen cup and I'm going to plug my phone in and I'm going to close out all the, you know, every full, everything that's open that I don't need. And that's going to help me focus. Procrastinate clearing is often like, I need to vacuum every floor of my house. 
I need to clean out the fridge. It's like cleaning out the fridge. That's just procrastination because you don't need to do that right now. And you probably – it's been – the fridge has been like that. Why is it that at this specific moment it seems like an urgent pressing need and like nothing else in your in your life can go forward until you deal with the fridge? That's procrastinating. And the thing is a little bit of procrastinating, as you say, it's very common. Certainly tons of writers have that. Um, a little bit of it can be fine because I think it sometimes for people it's a transition. You kind of warm up to it. It's sort of a peaceful way to kind of get yourself in order. But for some people, it can really get in the way of meeting their main priority. And if it's something where you're just constantly inserting these big tasks before you can start what you really need to get done, I think you have to recognize that it's procrastination. One of the most dangerous forms of procrastination is working because you think, well, I'm working, I'm being productive, Mm -hmm. therefore it's not really procrastination. I've heard of this called productive procrastination. If you have something that you need to get done and you're doing things in order to delay that, that can become very detrimental because you're really putting hurdles in your own way. Find ways to attack what needs to get done in in a timely way. In the end, that's less stressful. Uh, listeners, that was Gretchen just talking to me alone. And uh, now we're going to get back to the show. Oh, that was part of the show. Oh, <laughs> you're, you're, what? You're, you're hitting me hard there. Oh, my gosh. Um, so I imagine you, you, you said you're, you're not um, a, a huge victim of this. But if you see these things creeping into Gretchen Rubin's game, you're busy, you got projects, you got people counting on you. Do you have some strategies? Would you get up and take a walk for five minutes and go, hey, I'm, I'm feeling a little distractible now. Get the blood flowing with a, a, quick, uh, a quick set of pull-ups in the background. I don't know. Uh, well, I'll often get up and uh, like go get something to drink um, or uh, I, I, I go for a long walk in the morning. So I wouldn't usually go for a walk just like to clear my head. I, one thing I do when I really need to focus, like if I'm writing a book, which is my most intellectually demanding kind of work, I'll take my laptop and go. There's a little library, a little subscription library just a block from my house. And so I will work there because then mm-hmm. I don't connect to the Internet. And I've always ever since I was in grade school, I've always loved to do uh, any kind of like academic work or research or writing in a li- in a library. Like I just spend hours and hours. I met my husband in the law school library. Um, and so I find that to be an environment that's very conducive to thinking and kind of blocks out everything else. And in there, if I want to, like if I'm feeling distractible, I'll just go kind of walk around the shelves or I'll check out a few books. And I find that very, um, like that's a huge pleasure for me, but it's also kind of, it's still in the, in the same area of my brain, which is the reading, writing, thinking area. Um, and so, uh, but I think that it's really, I think your question, the larger point of your question is what works for you? Like doing pull-ups would not work for me. Like I can't even do one pull-up. Like I'd be like panting on the floor, but that could work really well for you. I mean, I think part of it is like knowing, well, what kind of thing helps me sort of take a good break and then, go, and then get back in where I want to go. Um, like have some tricks and tools. 10 jumping jacks is a great thing if you're feeling, um, like sluggish. Hey man, how's your sexual function? Oh, uncomfortable talking about it? Look, we talk about our injured knees, our belly fat, so it's time to get focused on function. I want to tell you about Gainswave. This is a cutting edge protocol where a handheld device sends low intensity shock waves into your penile blood vessels to stimulate a healing response and promote increased blood circulation and the growth of new blood vessels. 
a skilled practitioner puts the Gaines Wave magic wand onto your magic wand, and after a series of 6 to 12 very brief treatments, which are painless but extremely effective, you get real results. Gaines Wave reports an 80% success rate. Now, we know that popping pills is a popular penile protocol, but when you're working with clogged pipes, you just get a temporary Band-Aid effect when you take prescription drugs. Gaines Wave addresses the cause of age-related decline by stimulating growth factors and activating dormant stem cells. Translation, stronger, harder, more sustainable erections. I learned about Gainsway from my podcast guest, Dr. Judson Brandeis at the Brandeis MD Clinic in Northern California, and there's a robust network of Gainswave providers that you can find on their website near you. Complete a series of treatments, and the beneficial effects will last for a long time, especially if you eat and exercise well to promote overall vascular health. It's a tune-up for your equipment, and while it's great for ED, Gaines Wave is for any man that wants to combat the effects of aging and get a little boost for your A-game. So please visit GainesWave.com slash Brad. That's G-A-I-N-S-W-A-V-E dot com slash B-R-A-D to find a practitioner in your area, and you can take advantage of my special promotion, buy six treatments and get one free. You have nothing to lose and lots to gain from gainswave.com slash Brad. Hey, I want to tell you about Schwank Grills. This is a revolutionary portable gas infrared grill that uses the exact same heating technology as the world's best steakhouses. You heat up to 1,500 degrees Fahrenheit to grill the juiciest steak you've ever tasted in as little as three minutes. Can you believe it? That's right. You do not have to go to those crowded, noisy, super overpriced steakhouses anymore when you have the same technology in your backyard. And the Schwank portable infrared grill is not just for steak. You can make chicken wings hamburgers, seafood, lobster, vegetables. I make salmon in three minutes. They even have a pizza stone accessory. I want you to visit their very informative and mouth-watering website at schwankgrills.com. That's S-C-H-W-A-N-K. Everything you cook, faster, juicier. The speed is so important, so convenient. Uh, There's a drip tray on the bottom, so you let the juices drip down. I love the bison burger, the venison burgers. That's my game. And then you can add a mixture of butter, spices, whatever you want into the tray. Pour it back onto your meat or your salmon for a huge improvement in flavor. Are you getting hungry? I am. <laughs> Let's go to schwankgrills.com, S-C-H-W-A-N-K, grills.com, and up your home cooking game. This is a one-of-a-kind grill. I have a great discount code for you, of course. It's BRAD150 to save $150 off your purchase of a Schwank grill. You know, your brain isn't working at 3 o'clock in the afternoon, and you're like, I can't take a nap. I can't go for a run. What can I do? It's like, do 10 jumping jacks, run down a couple sets of stairs. And that'll, I, I, I often will do that if I'm feeling kind of just like, like my brain isn't working. Well, that change of venue tip is huge. I know not everybody has that uh, logistically, but um, turning off the internet or not having access to the internet is like my bread and butter. And I'll sit in a parking lot waiting for my fiance to finish work. And that's when I get my best writing done because I'm in a freaking car in the passenger seat doing my thing instead of having the ability to putz around and distract and, and float over to 
to internet. So the library down the street, when you're reading these yeah. beautiful books from Gretchen, you can know that it was mostly done away from home. I love it. I love yeah. it. Yeah. Um, sometimes people will have two computers, like a work computer and a play computer. Um, oh. Sometimes people will even like commute to their own house, like get out, like get dressed, walk around their house or walk around the block to be like, now I'm going to work. I have a friend who lives in a studio apartment and he has a rule that he can never get in bed. He can't like lie on his bed and read an article. It's like when I'm up, I'm up and like I just pretend like this part of the studio apartment doesn't exist. I'm like I'm in the kitchen or I'm at my desk or I'm like standing by the window because um, he's just because I'm like, oh, well, you could just you could read an article just as well in bed. He's like, yeah, you know, it's just like I got to I can't get into that bed. Um, so I think, again, it's mindfully thinking, well, what works for you? For you? Like, I couldn't stand to work in a car. Like, that would not be a, an environment that would, would be helpful to me. But for you, it's incredibly fruitful. And so, again, it's like figure out yourself. Um, some people do really good work in airports. Um, bizarrely, a friend of mine is like, I do my best work in an airport. There's something about that environment that's really helpful. Um, so you never know. I mean, I think part of it is when people are like, there's a one size fits all solution. I'm going to tell you the best, most you know, efficient way to work. And this is going to make you creative and this is going to make you effective. It's like, I don't know. Sometimes people like to be in big crowded environments. Sometimes people like, like to be in quiet places in solitude. Some people like to work early in the morning. Sometimes people like to work late in the day. Some people drink a lot of coffee. Some people are like drinking booze. You know, it's like a Hunter lot Thompson, of daily ritual. Yeah. Look, yeah, yeah. I mean, well, yeah, you're mentioned daily ritual. Mason Curry wrote a fascinating book called Daily Rituals, and it looks at the hab the daily work habits of more than a hundred highly successful creative people of all walks of life, scientists, painters, choreographers, writers. Um, and what you see is there's just tremendous range in the kind of environments in which people do their best work. And the key is to figure out, well, what do I need and how do I get myself what I need? And maybe I need tremendous order. Maybe I'm a simplicity lover who needs tremendous order in my environment. And maybe I like some buzz and some profusion and a little bit of chaos and that works better for me. Um, so rather than trying to jam yourself into someone else's model, it's like, okay, what do I need and how do I get the environment that works best for me? So uh, blowing that up to a bigger perspective, I'm wondering, we have, and, and you're a parent, I'm a parent, we want the best for our kids and for them to be the best they can be. And then you sit back and reflect and, you know, we have these um, tendencies and these desires to pursue and achieve goals. But there seems to be a whole spectrum of, uh, of society now, especially where you can just indulge in digital entertainment for hours on end. Uh, they talk about the video game addiction, the porn addictions, the things where people are just engaged and getting dopamine hits or whatever they need. And then you go to the Central Park on Sunday and you see people sitting on a blanket, uh, throwing a Frisbee, having a hot dog and walking over to watch the baseball game for four more hours, something that maybe one category of person would never do because it's such a waste of time and it's ridiculous and it's not using your brain and you're not making money doing it. But are there different paths to happiness? Or is there, you know, how do you find out what to honor or whether you're falling short of your best self and you deserve to go read a, a book like The Happiness Project or uh, Outer Order, Inner Calm? Um, if I know, you're going to say, with, <laughs> well, that's <laughs> that, stumping yeah, yeah. Gretchen Rubin here with my uh, rambling well, I think, question. Well, but. I think you're saying, is there a key to happiness? What is the key to happiness? So I think, I think if you, I think if the question is, is there a key to happiness? There's two ways to answer that question, depending on kind of what 
framework you're 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 in. One is relationships. Um, so ancient philosophers and contemporary scientists agree that the key, a key, and maybe the key to happiness is relationships. We have to have enduring, intimate bonds. We have to be able to give and get support. We need to be able to confide. Um, we need to feel like we belong. And so, anything that we do that um, that tends to deepen or expand our relationships tends to uh, make us happier. Now, one way to have a relationship is to go have a picnic with somebody and go watch a baseball game. On the other hand, it is also true that there there's many ways that technology can help us deepen and expand our relationships. So technology is it's an amplifier of human nature. You know, every medicine can become poison and I think we want to be this you know, we want to be in control of it and use it to our benefit. I'm a big believer in the benefits that technology can bring. That's not the same thing as I'm playing video games fourteen hours a day and like uh, you know, uh, to the to the to the um, exclusion of everything else. Um, but so anything that deepens and broadens relationships tends to make us happier. Or you could say, what's another key to happiness? The key to happiness is self-knowledge because we can build a happy life only on the foundation of our own nature, our own interests, our own values, our own temperament. Now, going to the going to a baseball game on a sunny day is something that would leave me utterly bored and cold. I don't want to go to a baseball game. I don't want to watch it on TV. I don't want to watch it live. Like I might go to hang out with my friends, but I'm like, we could be at a baseball game. We could be at a football game. We could be at a basketball game. We could be at a soccer game. We could be at a tennis match. I don't know because I don't care because I'm not interested in sports and I don't even really like games. So is that a secret to happiness? No. The secret to happiness is what do I like? What do I enjoy? How can I hang out with people that I love? Um, and so everybody kind of has to figure out their own way because it's going to look different. Um, the kinds of things that make one person happy might not make another. Some people, travel is really important. For some people, music's really important. For some people, food is very important. For some people, uh, you know, games are very important. It, there's, there's so many different um, ways that we can approach it. Um, but the secret is to know ourselves and to think about, well, how do I build a life that reflects what's true about me, not what other people expect from me or what I assume is true about me or what I wish were true about me, um, but really what is true for me. So if you're a surf bum and you're totally congruent with that, you're not really making an economic contribution to society, you might not be uh, taking best care of uh, even the relationships around you, but you're, you you appear to be... A, a, a chill person enjoying your your beers and street tacos and uh, random binges to Baja for catching the waves. Um, is it possible that person's access something that they might have the secret to the tightly wound uh, helicopter overstressed parent that's trying to do too much and be too much and ascribe to all these ideals of society? Well, I think you're describing people of very different values and saying, well, because one person could say my value is autonomy, independence, choice, spontaneity. I'm not that interested in deep relationships. I don't want to have children. I like being in nature. I like extreme sports. Um, another person is like, I'm very deeply engaged with the people around me. It's important to me to have roots. A lot of people depend on me and I depend on others. Um, I'm very ambitious in my career. I want to make, I want to have power. I want to have influence. I want to make things happen in the world. I want people to listen to me and I want to be able to execute big, big dreams and big visions. These are people of different values. And to say that the person who's really happy being the head of an emergency, you know, an emergency room in a big urban hospital as a head of surgery would be happy as a beach bum. It's like, no, they wouldn't. Because those are totally different people with totally different values and totally different interests. 
the beach bum is like, okay, I'm a beach bum. I like to be independent, but like, do I have relationships? Because if I don't have relationships, I'm probably not going to be happy. And to the emergency ER person, it's like, do you have time to just do what you want and to relax? Because probably that would make you happier. But to sort of say like one, one is preferable than the other, or like that one has element. I mean, I just, I think people can be happy in such different ways. Um, and so I think, I think rather than saying what is, what should, it, it's, it's very helpful to think like, well, what are the elements and given everything about me, how would I incorporate those elements? I mean, just the same way extroverted and introverted. Some people want to have coffee with two best friends and some people want to walk into a crowded cocktail party. Is one right and one wrong? Is one the best way? I mean, both have advantages and disadvantages. We both, we're probably all happier if we can enjoy a little bit of both. Maybe we have to kind of push ourselves in certain kinds of environments to get the benefit of them. Um, but I'm not like, but when people say something like, well, I can have three real friends or I can have 30 Facebook fake friends. I'm like, that's a false choice. There's lots of different kinds of friends. Um, and you can have many kinds of relationships that can enrich your life. Not everyone's going to be in your wedding party. Um, but they can still have a place in your life if you can handle that. Some people like having lots of relationships. Some people get overwhelmed when they feel like there's sort of too many people to have in their heads. Again, that's a that's a difference. Um, so there's a real range. We're, in a lot of ways, people are very much alike, but then the, the differences are important, I think, uh, to help us understand ourselves and how other people might be different from us. So to throw this into parenting for a moment, I know that's off your book topic, but uh, where do you stand on the spectrum of wanting the best for your kids, opening doors, giving them opportunities, helping them believe in their potential? But let's say, for example, uh, a kid is... Uh, looking at a destiny of becoming a surf bum rather than a college student, uh, is there a way to come to acceptance to realize that the the self determinism determinism is there, and you you offer choices and then see what happens, or can we orchestrate things? Is there a certain level that we need to participate in? Well, that is one of the most profound questions in parenting, which is, uh, you know, what is your role? Um, my own father said to me. Um, uh, about my granddaughter, about his granddaughter, my daughter. He said, well, you know, he said, you know, Gretchen, at some point you have to switch from being an advisor to being a cheerleader. And he's like, and I think you've already reached that point with your old, you know, with Eliza. Um, and I think I personally, just in my own experience of life, think that it's very risky for parents to overly intervene in children's career choices. I think you really, really, that's a big risk because often parents out of the deepest love want us to do things that seem safe. They don't want us to risk failure. They don't want us to risk um, having our feelings hurt or being rejected. But the problem is, as we all know, there is no safety. And you could tell your child, you can't become a beach bum. You can't become a beach bum. And that's totally irresponsible. You should become an accountant. You've always been good at numbers. And then they go into an accounting firm. They burn out. They get it. They, you know, they have all kinds of bad behavior or the accounting firm goes bankrupt. And now they've got like a terrible stain and they're doing something that they never even loved. Or, you know, and it's like if they become a beach bum it would have been like oh they went there they saw this investment opportunity they got involved with a partner now they have this great flourishing business and they live in hawaii and their life is great like we don't know um we don't know how things are going to turn out we don't know what is the safe choice now i think children don't always know the consequences of their action and so i think you want to say things like People who go to college have a lot more choices that's just the way of the world that's not my opinion that is like literally a fact you can look that up like 
Now, if you have a college education, you just have many more choices of, of, of uh, career. If you're a person who likes to have choices, <laughs> you might, that might be something that's really important to you. Um, do you want to, I mean, do you want to take a gap year? Like a lot of times parents can see options or like nuances that children just don't have enough experience in the world to be able to spot. They don't know about. I mean, I remember coming out of college, like people had jobs. I never, I didn't even know that was a job. Like I did, I was like, I didn't even know that was a thing. Like people became management consultants. I was like, what is that? I had never heard of that. I grew up in Kansas City, Missouri. Like I'm sure there were management consultants, but I was like, what is, is that even a job? Uh, my sister works in Hollywood and she's like, people don't know. There's like all these crazy cool jobs in Hollywood. Um People are like, you can do that as a profession? It's like they just don't have the sophistication to realize the, the possibilities. So I think there's absolutely a role for a parent to play. Um, but a lot of it is, you know, it's not something you could do at the last minute. It's like something that you've been trying to do all along in terms of helping them have self-mastery and planning and thinking ahead and self-examination. What am I like? What, do I, what am I good at? What interests me? Um, you know, these are kind of that this is the long game. Right. And doing so without uh, injecting that uh, judgment or manipulation of, for example, like bribing for a college admission spot on a fake athletic team or what have you. Yeah. So when we're desiring to declutter, uh, what I liked about your, uh, your presentation was it can be looking different for anyone. It's not the first step is to go into your fridge and get rid of the spoiled food. Yeah. <laughs> what, are some, uh, what are some ways that we can uh, personalize that experience and a first yeah. step that we can take? Well, I would say the first step I would say is don't, don't do this. Don't say, I'm going to get organized. Because a lot of times when people decide they're going to get organized, they have this impulse to like run out to the container store or Staples or wherever <laughs> and buy hangers and folders, binders. I don't know what it is about people and their binders, um, fa fancy containers. Um, but really what we should start is by clearing out everything that's sort of clogging the system. Because if you get rid of everything that's sort of doesn't need to be there, you may not need to get organized at all. You just you just have room on a shelf and you just put that thing on the shelf. It doesn't need to be like contained in some, you know, elaborate way. Like a guy who said he needed to, he thought he had to organize all his paperwork and then he realized his paperwork was all about pet insurance and his account was online anyway. So he could just recycle all this paper. He didn't need to do anything with it. Um, and then, but that leads to the question of like, okay, well, how do you decide what's clogging the system? At, like, what do you relinquish and what do you hang on to? I think a really useful tip, um, test for just about anyone is, do I need it? Do I use it? Do I love it? Because obviously for everyone, what do I need, use, and love would be very, very different. Um, but that can, that's a question that can get, can really help it get easier. Like, let's say you have a broken umbrella. Do you need it? Do you use it? Do you love it? No. So why do you have it? So either like get it fixed or get rid of it because you don't need to use or love it. The bread maker that seemed like a great idea for a birthday gift for your spouse five years ago. You don't need it. Use it. Love it. The cord. You don't even know what that cord goes to. Um, or, you know, like in my when I cleaned out the utility closet, we had two vacuum cleaners. We had the vacuum cleaner that we use and then we had like our backing back, backup vacuum cleaner, which was like our old vacuum cleaner that we didn't like. Why am I hanging on to that? Let give that, you know, give that away. Somebody else. Might, it might be just the perfect vacuum cleaner for them because um, we only need one – we only use one vacuum cleaner, you know? Um, so I think that's a really good test for just about everyone. And a really funny little 
thing that works for people is the one minute rule. And this is the rule that anything you can do in less than a minute, you do without delay. So if you can hang up your coat instead of throwing it on a chair, if you can, uh, you know, print out a document and put it in the right folder, um, that just gets rid of that kind of scum of clutter on the surface of everyday life. And it makes us feel less burdened because uh, it's easier to like get through your day. Can we put a limit on that so we don't go into procrastinating like the one minute rule times 12 and then you got to get get stuff going? Uh, well, usually the one minute rule is like as you go. It's right. like, could I just like put this away right now instead of leaving it here and doing it later? It's not like sit down and do, you know, it's a it's an as you go kind of thing. One of the things that's very striking about uh, clutter is that it's much easier to keep up than to catch up. And what happens to a lot of people is they live in clutter because maybe something happened like they had a baby and started a new job in the same six months or they moved and they started a new job and they never really unpacked like they never can get caught up. And so they just it's just sort of like build and build. Um, or it's like you have a big mess and then you just it's like it just doesn't you're like when am I going to tackle this huge pile but what you don't want to do is to tackle the huge pile and then a week later it's like nothing ever changed you know once you can catch up you want to have these little habits that will help you keep up and the one minute rule is great for keeping up because it just means like oh this book is out let me put this book back I'm not going to leave it there for a month and I'm not going to I'm not going to I don't need to take a half an hour and do like a whole spree of cleaning because maybe I only, maybe I'm just walking out the door to go to work. I'm just going to do this one thing because I know I can get it done in a month in a minute. Greetings, my fitness-minded listeners. I want to acquaint you with the Primal Fitness Expert Certification Program, the most comprehensive home study multimedia fitness education course in the world. If you want to enhance your personal knowledge of all aspects of leading a healthy, active, fit lifestyle, this total immersion course will be life-changing. I'm the lead instructor and author of the course, and we have 14 chapters of extensive written content with over 100 accompanying videos covering topics such as general everyday movement, including micro-workouts and dynamic workstation tips, the full experience of gym-based strength training and all the different modalities, a complete presentation on all aspects of sprinting, both running and low impact options, an assortment of high intensity interval training and high intensity repeat training strategies, a detailed education on the principles and practical application of aerobic endurance training, and extensive commentary, the most you will find in any publication, on all aspects and symptoms of overtraining and burnout. We even have fascinating peripheral topics like integrating nasal diaphragmatic breathing, dynamic stretching, injury prevention, and developing a peak performance mindset. It's really something, this course. We went all out for over two years with a great team to develop this amazing home-based fitness education for you. And you get one-on-one expert email support and private Facebook group connection throughout your studies to ensure that you absorb everything optimally and you pass your series of exams and get certified. So go to primalhealthcoach.com slash Brad to enjoy a very special limited time. And I'm not kidding. This is a big time discount just for you. 25% off your tuition. A fantastic premium offer at primalhealthcoach.com slash Brad for the most comprehensive fitness course you can ever find. 
I want to tell you about wildhealth.com. They're an online provider of comprehensive precision medicine and health consultation services. They offer DNA analysis, custom lab panels, extensive medical intake form with family history and lifestyle preferences, and regular online visits with a board-certified precision medicine physician and a health coach whom you can message anytime through their convenient app. Wild Health evaluates your data to determine what you need for nutrition, exercise, sleep, and supplements. And you can experiment, consult, and retest to get everything dialed in. You'll get a cutting-edge epigenetic test of DNA methylation to calculate your all-important biological age and have fun lowering your age over time instead of following the mainstream path to accelerated aging. It's time to strive for awesome instead of just normal. Did you realize that only 6.8% of Americans are deemed metabolically healthy and only 2% are declared optimal? That's disgraceful, but you can turn things around quickly. Please visit wildhealth.com and you will see that this is the absolute gold standard of personalized medicine and it's available to you right now. Telemedicine available anywhere in the USA. Wild Health is generously extending BRAD podcast listeners 20% off the cost of membership. Just visit wildhealth.com slash Brad or use the code BRAD20 at checkout to get 20% off and start taking control of your health today at wildhealth.com slash Brad. Now assume once you build that momentum from your initial efforts, it's got to be easier to keep up. I think it's much easier to keep up. And then also one thing that um, I noticed, and I think many people have experienced this, is that messy areas tend to get messier and tidy areas tend to stay cleaner. And you can see what this is. Like, let's say you have a counter and like 15 things on it. Well, if you dump your bag there at the end of the day and you're just like, oh, yeah, I don't know what to do with this thing. It just, there it is. It doesn't, it doesn't call out to you to figure out what to do with it. Whereas if you have a bare counter or like a bare chest of drawers in your front hallway or something, and there's like one thing sitting there, well, first of all, it's easier to find it. You're like, oh, there are my AirPods because they're just sitting there by themselves instead of part of a big mess. But also, I think just kind of temperamentally, people are more inclined to put something away when it's just clearly one thing that is in the wrong place. You're like, why is this doggy bag holder sitting here? It should be on the leash. Why don't I just go ahead and put it on the leash so that I don't leave the house without doggy bags? But if it's part of a whole mess, it's like your eye doesn't even locate it. So I do think that once you clear things, and then also other people, if there's a big mess, people tend to dump their mess on it. If it's pretty clear, um, then they're much more aware of like, I don't. why is my stuff there? My stuff doesn't belong there. It belongs someplace else. Um, I, I bought into that and, and hoping that my, my teenagers would follow suit when doing all these wonderful tidying, tidying drills and techniques. Sometimes that doesn't fly. So if you're seeing like incongruence in buy-in in, in a, a common living situation, what do you, what do you think we got to do here? Um, well, that's a very, very common conflict, obviously. It's like a lot of times people have different tolerances for clutter, and so that creates uh, disagreement. I mean, for for children, I mean, it's always – I think the question is always like, is this where you – is this the hill on which you want to make your stand? Is this really what – is this so, so important to you that you really want to nag on it? Um, if it's something like you're putting your shoes – you're just kicking off your shoes instead of putting them in the right place. It's like at a certain point, I think – I would not fight that fight. Um, 
Now, for somebody else, that could be so important that they would just want that they would want to make that their fight. So in that case, um, there's a lot of strategies in the books where you can like, is it easy to put it away? How convenient is it to put it away? You know, can you set things up in a better way? Um, like, for example, in my house, nobody ever hung up their coat. I never hung up my coat either. So we were all we were all doing this. And then I thought hooks. So I put in all these hooks and it turns out with my family, if there are hooks, people will put their coats on hooks. So sometimes it's sort of like, well, can we do this another way? Or like, let's say the shoes are driving you crazy. Could you have a basket? A lot of times something that's on a tray or in a basket feels more orderly, even if they're just sort of tossed in there. So could you put a basket by the front door and you're like, could you just put your shoes in the basket? And like, okay, maybe they can do that. Um, Because it's not like, oh, take them up to your room and put them in your closet. Don't put them away. Just put them in this basket. Or at least for you, it's easier. You just put them in the basket. I feel like I spend half my day putting up, putting dog toys back in the basket. Um, It's not that hard though. You know, but if I was actually like putting them away in a specific place, it might get annoying. But if you're just dumping them in a basket. So I think part of it is just to step back and think, what is the problem? Identify the problem. Um, I think... If you can, it's great for children to have their own space that they can handle in their own way. And maybe it's super messy, but you can be like, well, in your space, you can do what you want. But in, but in these shared spaces, I really want you to do it a different way. I think children often respond to that. Um, and, uh, and, and to try to make it easy. I mean, I've seen pictures of pe- people show me pictures of their children's rooms and they're like, my kid won't put anything away. I'm like, that room is like, there's no room to put anything away. You can't expect your five-year-old to figure out how to get rid of 80 stuffed animals. Like you kind of need to help. Like if it's really hard to jam a coat into a coat closet, people are going to be less likely to hang up their coats. So maybe you need to say like, what's, what's getting in the way? Um, uh, you know, and then I would say the final thing is, um, and I've experienced this as a parent, is the days are long, but the years are short. And right now, it's driving you crazy to have all those tennis shoes by the front door. But the day will come when there are no shoes by the front door and everything will be neatly put away exactly where you left it. And you will think back with great fondness on the day when there was a huge pile of tennis shoes by your front door every day. I'm just saying, enjoy the season of life and try to understand these are all phases and they will pass. And you want to manage it completely. I I do the same thing. But I, but I now often am like, oh, remember the giant plastic slide that drove me crazy? Well, you know, that was, that was just a season of life. And I probably should have just been more chill about it. I think we also want to get away from thinking, if you model this beautiful behavior that you think is so awesome that it's going to absorb into others. It might, might, they might not care. And then you can kind of build resentment, frustration, because you're so decluttered, and then the, the piles build up around you, whether it's your mate at work or at home or what have you. Well, that's interesting. I mean, one of the things I always do, because I'm a huge scorekeeper, I'm a real bean counter. It's like, it's really an aspect of my personality. One of the things I'll tell myself is I'm doing it for myself. I'm doing it because this is the way I like to have it because because in a way that sounds selfish, but to your point about resentment, it's like I don't resent doing this. This is what I want. I'm cleaning this up. I'm not doing this for you. I'm doing this for me. And I think a lot of times I am doing it for me. And so just to be honest about it, like 
if somebody else really doesn't care, it's like, well, you are doing it for you. And just, and, and, and that there's a pleasure in that just being like, well, I can have, I want it the way I want it. So I'm going to make it the way I want it. And then it's annoying if other people don't cooperate, <laughs> but you can, you can see why you're doing it yourself. I will say this thing about children too, is I think sometimes parents feel like they have a real duty to train their children because they don't want them to be an inconsiderate spouse or like a horrible roommate because they're so messy. And one of the, and I always think of my husband, I mean, my husband, it's notorious how messy his his college dorm room was. And now he is Mr. Hamper and Mr. Make Your Bed. I think sometimes it's just like people go through a phase and they have to grow into it. Or maybe it's a, it's a sign of trying to show autonomy or whatever. But I don't think that your child is will be that way necessarily forever. Now, my sister, who I mentioned earlier, my co-host for the Happier with Coach Rubin podcast, she was incredibly messy as a child. And she's been incredibly messy all the way through. I've been there the whole way. She's better than she was. She's still, by anyone's standard who's pretty tidy, very messy. So not everybody outgrows it, but some people do. And I think that, you know, a lot of it is just like, this is who the person is. Like, I don't know that you can also have the backlash where like you make your kid make their bed every day. And so then when they grow up, they're like, I'm never making my bed again. I'm a grown up. You can't make me. So you never know how these things play out. So um, I think it's really about peace and like having an environment where everybody feels comfortable because if you feel overwhelmed and just sort of stifled by all the junk in your environment, that's not good for you. Um, on the other hand, if you're just like, I, I like to have the dishwasher loaded a certain way, it's like, okay, well, other people may disagree and how important is it, you know, and then talk that through. I guess this would transition. I, I know I, um, you're busy gal, but I want to talk a little bit about the four tendencies and wondering, mm. it sounds like these are pretty innate. You're talking about yeah. you and Elizabeth grew up in the same house. You got your thing going. She's You're describing the disparity there. Um, if you could just go through with the 30-second the, the definition of each one. And then okay. um, how innate are they? And if so... Should we spend effort changing, trying to, you know, I'm, I'm rebel tendency. I'm a 99% rebel tendency. I'm like, oh my gosh, what an eye-opening uh, insight that uh, you yeah. know, I, I operate in my own world rather Wonderful. than trying to, you know, uh, but uh, should I waste time and energy, spend time and energy trying to be more upholding or is it just right. like work with your strengths, work with your tendency? Yeah. Uh, well, so I'll just briefly describe the four tendencies so people know what we're talking about. Um, and we're opposites in a way, like I'm an upholder and you're a rebel. So that's good. Um, but there it can is a work, qu- right? There was pairs that could work, right? I yeah. Rebel and upholder is the most difficult tendency. Oh, that's to right. Pair that's in. the most difficult. Yeah, right, that's right. the most difficult. Rebel um, and obliger. Like if you work. have a partner, yeah. I'm guessing that your partner is an obliger. Yes. Yeah. Because guess? that's over. Because that's overwhelmingly the case. If one person is a rebel, the other person is an obliger. That's overwhelmingly the case. And except for certain uh, very predictable exceptions to that, um, that's almost always true. Um, so there's upholders, questioners, obligers, and rebels. This is my four tendencies personality framework. Um, I wrote a book about it, and there's a quiz. If you want to take a quiz that tells you what you are, you can take it at quiz.gretchenrubin.com. Um, but most people don't even like if we'll, just in the brief discussion that we'll have, um, most people know can figure out their tendency. 
So it has to do with how you respond to expectations, outer expectations like a work deadline and inner expectations like uh, a request from a friend. And so depending on how you respond to outer and inner expectations, you're either an upholder, a questioner, obliger, or rebel. So upholders readily meet outer and inner expectations. They meet the work deadline. They keep the New Year's resolution without much fuss. They want to know um, what other uh, they want to know what others expect for them, but their expectations for themselves are just as important. Then there are questioners. Questioners question all expectations. They'll do something if they think it makes sense. So they're making everything an inner expectation. They resist anything arbitrary, ineffective, irrational. They need to know why before they'll comply. Then there are obligers. Obligers readily meet outer expectations, but they struggle to meet inner expectations. So I got my insight into this when a friend said, I don't understand it. When I was in high school, I was on the track team and I never missed track practice. Why can't I go running now? Well, when you had a team and a coach expecting you to show up, no problem. But when you're just trying to go on your own, you struggle. And then finally, rebels. Rebels resist outer and inner expectations. They want to do what they want to do in their own way, in their own time. They can do anything they want to do. They can do anything they choose to do. But if you ask or tell them to do something, they're very likely to resist. And typically, they don't like to tell themselves what to do. Like they often wouldn't do something like sign up for a 10 a.m. spin class on Saturdays because they're like, I don't know what I'm going to want to do on Saturday. And just the fact that somebody's expecting me to show up is just annoying. Um, so those are the four tendencies. Oh, it was life-changing book just to uh, first identify yourself. And then, I don't know about you, if you start going through your day, uh, uh, getting everyone's tendencies dialed in, and then uh, I think benefiting from the insight to treat people in the way that uh, might get the most cooperation, the most, uh, most joy in a, in a um, relationship setting. Yeah. Well, you asked before about like, should you, what should you do with your tendency? And I think that what I think about the tendency is sometimes people do want to be a different tendency. Like they're like, I don't want to be an obliger. I want to be an upholder or whatever. And I think, you know, is it possible to really change your inborn hardwired genetically programmed personality? I don't think so. Or if it is, it's very, very difficult, but it's very easy to change your circumstances. And so what I would say is like, if you're a rebel and you're having trouble doing something because it's like, you can't use to-do lists. You don't like having things on the schedule. Like, it's like, you don't like to give yourself rules. So, you know, like, okay, what do you do with that? To me, it's like, don't try to make yourself a different kind of person. It's like, how can I do this in a rebel way? And so for a rebel, like, let's say you wanted to quit sugar. Well, you're not going to do it because the doctor said so. You're not going to do it because you said you would. You're not going to do it because your partner is asking you to. You're going to do it because you're, you're going to say things to yourself like about your identity and what you want. My, I'm a strong, healthy person. I'm not controlled by big food companies. They can't addict me and chain me with their fake ingredients. I love exotic, fresh foods. I love going to the farmer's market. I love buying things and putting together new new flavors. Um, I could, People say I can't quit sugar. Watch me. I'm not going to eat sugar again for the rest of the year. I mean, these are all things that appeal to rebels because it's identity uh, and 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 um, what the kind of person they want to be. But you can imagine that to someone else, um, like to an obliger, they need outer accountability. To meet inner expectations, obligers need outer accountability. See, outer accountability can be counterproductive for rebels because they don't like people looking over their shoulders and telling them what to do. For obligers, it's necessary. So if you're an obliger and you want to quit sugar, you might like – 
you know, pay for a, a nutritionist or have an accountability group. I have an app called the Better App where people can form accountability groups. You could think of your duty to be a role model for someone else. You could think about your duty to be healthy because you've got people who are depending on you. Um, you could say that, you, you know, like say that you'll donate a certain amount of money to an important charity if you go sugar-free for a year. There's a million ways to create outer accountability once you realize that that's what you need. Um, and that's what the tendencies helps you figure out is like how do you work within your own strengths – um, to get where you want to go. We could all achieve our aims, but we might need to take different paths to get there. Love that stuff. I, I Actually, this is a question, okay? My last question, uh, but it's how to get more people to buy your book. And ah, the, 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 the full backstory, the actual question is, it seems like sometimes the people who are uh, pre-qualified the ones most likely to go and embark upon a happiness project or to declutter, they're already pre-qualified. They're yes. already in pursuit of happiness. Then they're going to do a happiness project. They already, look, you know, it's funny. It's funny that you said that because research shows, like, if you look at people who buy self-improvement books, there are <laughs> already people who are highly functioning, and they know that, like, even a little bit of boost would help. So it's the people, the people who you think most need it, aren't the, are not the audience. You're exactly right. Like, research has actually shown that that is the case so what do we do um well uh you mean like should you give it to somebody a lot of times my books are given it's funny like i i will personalize books and a lot of times people ask me to personalize you got this or you can do it so clearly it's like meant to be i don't like you're like i'm not gonna buy this book i know you're not gonna buy this book for yourself so i'm gonna buy it for you you know um Uh, I mean, one thing is you can sort of like leave it out and see if somebody wants to do it. But I mean, like all change, it has to – with the only person we can change is ourselves. We can't make other people change or force – you know, or or nag other people into changing. Um, But sometimes we can put ideas or thoughts in their way. So that can help. And sometimes, you know, there's the – I love the saying – when the teachers, when the student is ready, the teacher appears. And so sometimes you can kind of play that role as sort of like when somebody seems like they're casting about, you can offer tools and resources and ideas for them. Um, yeah, I know. Right? People I mean, have to be ready to listen. You're cranking out books. You're recording the podcast. We can push that button and start listening. And yeah. maybe that's going to, uh, for the, uh, 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 the questioner, it might take a few <laughs> episodes or whatever, but... <clears throat> I appreciate what you're doing so much, Gretchen Rubin. We've dropped a few uh, suggestions through the thing, but you want to summarize by telling us the best way to connect with you and Absolutely. Yes, you can listen. We talked about my podcast, Happier with Gretchen Rubin, where I talk every week about how to be happier um, with my sister, Elizabeth Kraft, the messy one. She's also an obliger. Um, And uh, on my website, GretchenRubin.com, I like post regularly about my adventures and sort of happiness and good habits and human nature. I write a lot about habit formation as well. Um, And there's tons of stuff there and resources. And if you want to read sample chapters or listen to samples of the audiobooks, it's all there. Um, I'm on social media uh, under the name Gretchen Rubin. Um, I love love to connect with readers and listeners and viewers. Um, so with insights, observations, questions, anything, um, I'm all over the place and I love to connect. So um, I look forward to hearing from people. Gretchen Rubin, keep it going. Thank you so much for the show. I really appreciate it. Thank you. It's so fun to talk to you. Take care. Da, 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 da. 
Thank you for listening to the show. We would love your feedback at getoveryourselfpodcast at gmail.com. And we would also love if you could leave a rating and a review on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. I know it's a hassle. You have to go to desktop iTunes, click on the tab that says ratings and reviews, and then click to rate the show anywhere from five to five stars. And it really helps spread the word so more people can find the show and get over themselves because they need to. Thanks for doing it. This is Brad to tell you about my favorite performance supplement, Real Ketones. They are makers of the most scientifically advanced, most heavily researched supplemental ketone product available in the world. Yes, you can now drink exogenous ketones, the same ketones that your liver makes from devoted dietary restriction, and you get quickly into ketosis to support your athletic, weight loss, cognitive performance, and disease protection goals. People, I have been in the performance nutrition game for a long time, and I must proclaim that ketone supplements are the greatest breakthrough in performance nutrition in decades. To date, we've had protein powders, which is great, and then we've had a bunch of powdered, sugary drinks and gels and blocks and bars. Ketones are a vastly superior, cleaner, burning fuel source than glucose. In fact, glucose produces 45 times more free radicals than ketones. That's why the ketogenic diet is so popular for treating seizures, cancer, athletic peak performance, and fat loss. Personally, what I do is I drink my real ketones before, during, and after high-intensity or long-duration workouts. This way, I turbocharge fat burning, and I get the absolute cleanest burning fuel source ever. Science validates that exercising in ketosis generates less inflammation, especially in the highly sensitive brain cells. That's why you feel fried the morning after a tough workout and you have less cellular destruction, less muscle soreness. And here is Real Ketone's breakthrough product. It's called Prime D+, a multi-patented formula combining ultra-high potency BHB salts with MCT oil to quickly get your body into sustained ketosis and no crash effect because MCT oil helps boost internal fat and ketone production. The science is there, people's real ketones has spent over a million dollars in product research. It's time for you to join the revolution to the highest quality fuel. Go to bradkearns.com's shopping page, bradkearns.com slash shop, click the link and get 10% off your first bottle of Real Ketones Prime D+. You can learn more at realketones.com.